Right now on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline, we bring in Chris Manning, Chris, the host of the Locked On Cavs podcast and the Just Basketball podcast as well, as well as a friend of mine. Hi, Chris. How are you? Danny, this is wonderful. I'm so happy to be talking to you. What's going on, buddy? I'm just thrilled to chat Cavs with you after a blowout victory tonight, a one that I think that the Cavs desperately needed. They've been Mm. fighting through a lot of adversity this year. I think it's fair to say if you want to bring up the Evan Mobley injury, Darius Garland having his jaw fractured. Why do you think this Cavs team has fought so hard at times this year? Talk to me, Chris. So the one thing that has come to mind to me for me of late has been that I I do want this to me tells me something a little bit about JB Bickerstaff as a coach. You can have your qualms with JB and and uh, some of them are valid, some of them are not. But one of the things I think this recent stretch especially has told you is at least that the locker room takes him seriously, that they respect him, that they're bought into him to some degree, right? Because this is someone that if if this was a coach that they weren't bought into, they might have just folded. They might have just you know, let this um, go out of place really quickly. That that was on the table. We've seen that with NBA teams, seen it with all teams before and all kinds of sports. So to me, that's part of it. Um, and, and I think you do have some good leaders in that team. I think you do. This team does like they understand they're playing for something and, and kind of value some of the character in the locker room. Somebody Kobe Altman, you know, you know this, has talked a ton about wanting to get high character guys. But I do think this reflects well on JB. Chris, with the guys being injured, that have missed time, expectations obviously change a little bit because they have to. Do you think that has sort of alleviated some of the pressure on that coaching staff? I could see maybe, but I, I also think no. Like, ultimately, this is like a, a win-based business. This is a, a situation where, like, you either win and you keep your job or you don't. I mean, that that's not totally fair, and a lot sometimes this stuff is just, like, freakish and out of your control, but, you know, if like I mean, you know, Kevin Stansky is like maybe not the best comp because he's done such a high level job at that team. But like, if they had won seven games this year or six games this year, and they had all those quarterback injuries and it didn't go the way it did, and Joe Flacco wasn't doing what he's doing, like he wouldn't be getting a pass because of injuries. You'd still just go with another coach. That's just I think the nature of the business. Does it maybe tell us something positive that alleviates some of the pressure in that way? Sure, but I think the injuries alone. I don't know if that's enough to give to give a coaching staff a pass. So with the injuries, they've kind of changed stylistically, partially, I, I think, out of necessity where before Garland, and I know Mobley had missed time before the surgery was announced, but you know, you look back to that, I think it was December 15th is when that the, the dual press release came out that both of them needed surgery and were going to miss a significant amount of time. Cavs have shot roughly 10 more threes per game since that date with that change stylistically, is that kind of now the only look they've got as a team? I think it's that. And then you're also seeing them really hammer the offensive glass more. At least they attempt to the games they've won. You can just go look at this. The games they've won of late, they're getting offensive rebounds. The games that they lose, they don't get offensive rebounds. There's been a, a correlation in that, but I think it's the personnel. And I do think it's the only look, this team is so much more offensive oriented right now because of the defensive personnel with no Mobley just isn't there. You can't play at the same level and same scheme exactly. So I do think that's really the only way they can play. They have to take a bunch of threes. They're playing guys like Sam Merrill, whose one skill is to shoot threes. And otherwise, they're getting the offensive glass and trying to get second-chance points that way. It's a very different style, but I think you're you're right in shouting out why it's happening. Do you think Jared Allen has been better off without Evan Mobley? 
look at you just asking all the, the spicy questions. I didn't yeah, come I, here. I, I didn't. I, I didn't stay up till ten forty-five to lob you softballs, Chris. You you could have. That would have been boring. So I I like this, but yeah, I I think there's a case that this is telling us something about that partnership and what it can be or what it sh- what or what it isn't, right? And what it could be if you do something different. You're seeing a Jared Allen who's doing more DHOs, who's passing more, who's playing with more spacing. There's not another big hanging out in the dunker spot, or they're not overlapping in the paint as they want to do sometimes. Like there is something to the fact that this is simpler modern basketball that very few other teams play two bigs. That his role is just simpler now, and they're running certain stuff, and it, it's just looser. Like there's something freeing about just having the one big and having all the spacing, even if it's not the most stretchy team with all the best shooters. Like it's still just more room than playing with two bigs a lot. And I think this would be true with Mobley the other way as well. If this was just Mobley at the five, you would be learning something and seeing something different from him too in the same scenario, I think. Chris Manning with us now on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. You can follow Chris on Twitter at CWM Rights. Chris, the trade season, I guess we'll call it, in the NBA officially kicked off this past weekend when the Knicks acquired OG Ananobi from the Toronto Raptors in exchange for Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett and some other pieces and parts moved around in that as well. I bring this up because there's been a certain someone that has been linked to the Knicks on the Cavs for quite some time in Donovan Mitchell. Do you think in some way that trade there, which I think lessens the chances of Mitchell leaving for the Knicks could calm the Cavs down a bit? I think yes, but I, I, I also have gotten to the possibility and talked to people about this and just kind of thinking through it and looking at what the Knicks still have and listening to the other analysis too. I, I think there's a world where there's still like some fear. Um, I don't think it, so the Cavs probably paid, let's just say they paid the full price for Donovan Mitchell in their trade. I don't know if there's a world where it's like a guarantee they're getting a full dollar back. Sure. Right. Well, I, I think I that's think the that's, tax of having him on the team for two years. Yes. Yes, and I think that maybe depending on what the package ultimately is, and there's some there's some things I wouldn't want to touch. If the Knicks in the summer, which when this really would spike up, would be like, hey, we have this Detroit pick, we have a future Wizards pick, like we'll give you a bunch of picks and some salary. Like, yes, I would have loved Emmanuel quickly. That would have been a guy I would have loved on top of like Quentin Grimes and whatever else, and the picks would have been nice too. But if if that's the package, I don't think it totally rules it out. I think it's what this means for like a bidding war or where he could go, I think is interesting. And there's going to be some ripple effects. I, 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 like you thought maybe this made it less likely when it first happened. And the more I've thought about it, the more I've talked to people about it. I don't think it's as simple as that. I think there's still more to figure out, more to learn about what that's ultimately going to look like as far as what the price for Mitchell could be for, from New York. Chris, why do you think Sam Merrill has been so successful as of late? Because he's got one really good NBA skill, and sometimes you can just have a really good NBA skill, and it can translate. The shooting is just something this team needed. He's confident. He's willing to do it. I mean, he's he's got a a, a look for him where he's willing to go from anywhere. He took a shot nearly the, from the three point line the other night against Toronto. That guy has just the confidence to shoot from anywhere. That's something no one else in the team has to that degree. I would say. I mean, I think just that skill even if there are, that's kind of the one thing I think he's really good at, it's made him effective, especially as the team needs that specific skill. Why do you think it took so long for it to be on display the way it has? 
I think because I think it's just because of why, like ultimately, he's not going to be in the rotation when the team is fully healthy because that's not a guy you can play in a playoff game. The shooting is great. It's fun. It's nice to have if you needed it. And I think when the team is healthy again, you could see games or runs now where like, okay, he's played well enough. Let's get, let's pull the lever and let him come out. And we have like our Sam Merrill lineups where we skew a little more heavy offensively and we shoot a lot. But I think if you scale him up and you look at what he could be, yes, I know he had the injury and stuff that kind of delayed his start, but I don't think you look at this guy defensively and think that's is a guy that can play for me when, when the games really matter, just because I think he's going to get hunted and attacked and, I think that's why. It's not so much that he's not good at the thing he's good at. I think it's that there's other things that are real concerns in his ability to stay on the floor at a high level. How do you think Cavs head coach J.B. Bickerstaff feels about his team averaging 44 three-point attempts per game through this recent stretch? If you got him on truth serum? I bet you he'd be a little stressed out about it, Danny. You know this as well as I do, that that guy does not, I think, love modern like he, he, I believe he's called it a fetishization of three pointers before. I don't think that's totally like in his blood or what he's super comfortable with. I mean, but again, to give him some credit, I do think him understanding that that's how the team has to play right now speaks to his pragmatism as a coach. But I bet you he's, I bet you the the defensive numbers and the film, and then except for this game where they were good, but the Wizards are bad, and then the three point numbers are making him like a little shaky because he's just it's just not what he's actually comfortable with. Have your expectations for this team changed at all from the time training camp started to now? I, I think they have to. I, I think my, they're definitely a little bit. They're 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 my understanding of I think what their ceiling is or what their best case is. I think is a little bit different. I think their floor is a little bit lower based on what we've seen so far. Um, I I know I think if you just take it what we've seen, even if you say okay, the the energy's been a little bit weird. You have these injuries now. You've had injuries before this nothing's ever really fully come together yet. You can, I, I think that is all fair and true, but I don't know how you look at what this season has been, how they've ultimately played, and say, yeah, like my everything's fine. They just need to get healthy. Like I think there's something that doesn't quite feel right here. The numbers say that. I think the film says that. And you are, I think, what your record says you are. So I my expectations are lower, and I, th- I think the floor is a little bit lower than I would have thought as well. Cavs again, 140 to 101 winners over the Washington Wizards tonight at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Chris Manning of the Locked on Cavs podcast and the Just Basketball podcast. Chris, thank you so much for the time tonight. Danny, anytime, my friend. There he is. Chris Manning of the Locked on Cavs and Just Basketball podcast, courtesy of the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline. If you missed that interview, be sure to go back. You can find it. On the Odyssey app, use the rewind function. Certainly one of the more practical things in this entire industry. We also had Daryl Ryder on earlier in the show. Be sure to go back and check that. A ton of great stuff from Daryl.